So um, this is a really great opportunity for me because it allows me to stretch into areas that we haven't covered before. Now, when reading this offside stream a few weeks ago, I noticed that the word cyborg was present, and I couldn't miss the opportunity to get into some of the stuff that I've written about for the last 15 years. And I began writing about sport at about the turn of the millennium, which was at the time when we had two major revolutions taking place, the digital revolution and the genetic revolution. And so in order to kind of go forwards, which is what this clicker doesn't always want to do, we have to go back a bit. And I want to take you back to 1932 with the publication of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, this book that for nearly a century now has been a metaphor for a technological society gone wrong. On the one hand, a kind of blueprint for what we don't want to do for the future, but also a kind of manifesto for rising up against technology and to reimagine it or imagine it differently. And sports have been at the forefront of this over that entire century, where we've seen decade after decade the proliferation of technologies and the integration of them within elite sports practices. Now, a lot of the focus has been on subjects like this, this Sports Illustrated issue from way back when dealing with a subject that we still haven't resolved. How do we figure out how to deal with doping in sport? And the picture I want to paint for you is that the future of sport is characterized by this bio-digital interface. And when we begin to think about what the next generation of athletes may look like, central to that vision is the integration of these technologies and potentially even giving up on this issue around doping. That doesn't mean we kind of celebrate and tolerate cheating in sport, but it means that we recognize that biology is always a work in progress, and our pursuit of evolution takes us in a direction that's very different. At the same time, we've reached a point where the commodification of life also has become a digital pursuit. This is a photograph from 2012, the USOC athlete Nick Simmons, who in advance of the London 2012 Games auctioned off part of his body. The winner of the eBay lot would have the right to tattoo their logo on his arm. Now at a time when athletes still are struggling to make ends meet, struggling in part because the economic system around sport limits their capacity to really monetize their talent. Tattooing your arm with the logo of your sponsor is perhaps the most profound way of, of drawing together some of the problems with the current system. Now, of course, you can see here, he's got a plaster over it. At the Olympic Games, there's no advertising. So the winner of the lot, which, by the way, was a marketing company, was not able to showcase its presence. But arguably, the absence of that logo conveys precisely what took place. So athletes are writing onto their bodies with commercial properties. We're commodifying life in a most profound way through digital experiences. At the same time, we see companies trying to disrupt the economic foundation of sports. Here we have the New York Times getting around the problem of rights holder agreements, which limit their ability to show moving image during the Olympic Games. The animated GIF is one of just a number of technological innovations that have happened over the last century where events like the Olympics have been at the forefront, whether it's slow motion replay, underwater film, 3D, 360, VR, all these things have been part of sport's journey. And we've seen this symbiotic relationship between the digital and the biological, the sports, almost even through the Olympic motto itself, Citius Altius Fortius, tend towards excess 
tend towards transcendence, going beyond what we've done before and striving to reach some new attainment within human evolution. Over this decade or two, we've also seen that genetic revolution have an impact on our imagination. This image, a screenshot from the film Gattaca, now 20 years old, encapsulates this potential. And sports are imbued with potentiality, the idea that we can go beyond, that there are limits that can be broken. The six-fingered pianist that can play compositions that mere five-fingered pianists cannot play asks us to consider what else we might be able to do if we only tamper with our biology. Now, not everyone's comfortable with that, but at the time when this was all beginning, towards the end of the millennium, when the Human Genome Project was beginning to reach completion, this was the appeal. Maybe not designer people, maybe not procreating the Olympic athletes of the future, but simply eradicating, I say simply, eradicating disease, illness, and as a result, ending up with a species, a population that is optimized not just for sports, but for any number of things, selecting, for example, genes for, for singing. Uh, one of the single uh, genes we, we know is, is related to perfect pitch, so we might optimize our capacity for singing. But of course, at the heart of this is also a question about what kind of life is worth living. Is it still meaningful if we can engineer these sorts of qualities? But these were not just moments of science fiction. These were moments that were becoming tangible realities. And over the last 15 years, we've seen this engage the world of sports in quite dramatic ways. This set of images is a PDF from a commercial genetic test that was launched about 15 years ago, just less than 15 years ago, which would allow you to take a mouth swab that would then tell you whether you're more likely to be an endurance or a power-based athlete. Now consider your own life, at what point you might have considered using such a test. When this was launched, the world of sport was up in arms, anxious that, in fact, this would govern the decisions people make about sports and the things they do, when the people in the sports industry like to believe that the choices that we make in sport have to do with our values, our feelings, our sense of joy that we get out of participating in sport, not because of this desire just to win and be the best. But we see this duality, this tension of what sports are all about. And part of what I want to suggest is that we can reimagine sports in quite different ways. But the technology has taken us very far already. Not only have we had these genetic tests, which, by the way, are heavily criticized by scientists for being wholly inadequate in their characterization of what we know about biology, there might be a any number of genes associated with endurance or power that we could select for to think we could just test for one gene and determine whether someone's good at one thing or another is, is highly contested. But the gene genie is out of the bottle, and these things are available out there for people to begin to consider using. And the problem may not be, in fact, having just one genetic test for sport. The problem may become when we have a multitude of genetic tests that tell us what we might be good at in all sorts of aspects of our lives. This is the era we're beginning to enter. And over this last decade, we've seen not just genetic information be something that could be applied to sports in a way that helped with talent identification, but we've also seen examples within animal models that show the potential of genetic modification to actually have an impact on performance. And here's one example. 
So we're seeing here a wild-type mouse compete against a genetically modified mouse. Consider if these were humans, what kind of race this might be. Now, sports always have selected for the best, most physically capable people. But gene doping, which has become the biggest issue in the anti-doping movement, is concerned because of the degree to which the technology can have an impact on our capacities. And we still don't quite know what this would look like on a human scale. But if the animal models are anything to go by, then we ought to be very worried about this. Worried because it disrupts things. And technology is often about disruption. The anxiety we have about it has to do with that breaking down of boundaries. But a lot more has changed than just these discoveries. We've seen over the years a kind of emergence of a speculative economy where we consume not products, but ideas. It's this Kickstarter economy whereby it doesn't really matter if the product doesn't make it here. And in this case, this one didn't make it here. This was designed by a couple of friends of mine, the telephone tooth implant that would, as it sounds, allow you to have the telephone built into your body. This is a design principle that we're beginning to see operate within society. We have had, in the last six months, uh, the first digital drugs be approved by the FDA. Drugs will have sensors built into them that will connect with your mobile devices and tell you what's happening as that drug passes through your body. So we're beginning in moving into a medical IoT, which is dramatically transforming how we think about that division between biology and technology. And this, I would suggest, is central to that future. At the same time, there's something remarkable and mundane about technology. This image from the Pyeongchang Winter Olympic Games uh, was a world record-breaking uh, choreography by Intel, who produced, I think it was 1,218 drones, creating these wonderful images in the sky, three-dimensional images, the Olympic rings depicted here. But the moment where it was possible to actually do this, break a world record, it then became routine. In fact, some of the publicity, they talk about how moving from 300 drones to 1,200 drones was not a massive change. So there's something also interesting about how this radical transformation leads into something becoming commonplace, normal, expected within our society. At the same time, sports are moving into different territories. So we see here in Red Bull's crashed ice, the reappropriation of the urban space. And whereas sports have become such big business that we can't simply fit them into our cities, we need to radically reconfigure them to allow that to be possible. And so we're seeing again the reappropriation of the urban space, the space which has excluded many kinds of sports. You think about any urban environment and how Benches, banks, uh, uh, walkways are designed in a way to discourage skateboarding. These are the sorts of things that now we see a, a reappropriation of it through things like parkour or skateboard. A desire to actually reclaim the city at a time when it becomes this highly regulated space. Sports are reimagining themselves for this era. At the same time, we see digital values operate within 
the future imaginations of sport. And it's always interesting to look at the Olympic Games, in part because every Olympic Games, if you look at the Olympic Games official report, um, which comes out on the closing ceremony, they always talk about how it's the biggest and best that's ever happened. Uh, a good example is the television audience. The television audience is always bigger and more than the previous games. But one thing that was interesting about Rio in 2016 was that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, didn't talk about television hours. It talked about live-streamed hours, this new unit of, of currency that determines the value of what took place. With the handover from, um, from Rio to Tokyo in, in 2020, we saw those values come out in the opening ceremony. This is a screenshot from the um, media guide to the closing ceremony, the handover for, for Tokyo, which shows the imagery of, of Super Mario being part of the handover ceremony. So here we have the computer game arriving at the Olympic Games. And in fact, it was the Japanese Prime Minister that appeared as Super Mario in this spectacular moment at that handover ceremony. We're also seeing how a new language of broadcasting is developing around data. These data visualizations in a concept video for Tokyo reveal how the visual format of sports may also be transformed by using things like body suits that convey biometric transformations to the athletes, slow motion uh, graphics that give you a sense of a sport which otherwise may be quite challenging to grasp. And so in this, again, we see technology, television evolving into something else, evolving in part because it has to. We know that the sports audiences are growing in age as an average population. So creating experiences for mobile, for interactive, is a key criterion of building sports for the future. At the same time, we see the development of bionic technologies. Now, this photograph taken from the Paralympic Games in London 2012 is not as interesting as what happened during the Olympic Games when we had the first athlete with a prosthetic limb compete alongside so-called able-bodied athletes. Even our notion of what able-bodied means is up for grabs. And if London was the first Games where this happened, by the time we get to Rio, we see the potential for an athlete with a bionic limb to actually be competitive at a medal level. And so another trajectory within sports is this, separate, this, this collapsing of the, different, uh, the distinctions between able-bodied and disabled, men and women. The divisions that sports have historically uh, allowed to happen are ceasing to be present. And I, I kind of think that if the Olympics was imagined today as opposed to 100 or so years ago, we wouldn't see some of the separations that we currently see as standard within sports. So we see this transcendence on that level as well. And at the same time, we see outside of sports the possibility for reconfiguring our abilities. This image from a website for the North Sense uh, implant is one such example, an implant that allows you to develop a sense of direction. So you wear it on your chest, and when you're, when you're facing north, it vibrates. And perhaps over time, you begin to learn which direction you're facing, and you won't need to, as I did this morning, look at my telephone to, and the Google Maps application to figure out how to get here. So technology is not just giving us facilities that we didn't have before. It's giving us facilities that perhaps we had way back when, before we had modern technologies. It's inviting us to reconsider both the limits of ourselves as, as a species, but also what other kinds of properties other species may have that we might seek to emulate. 
An awareness and instinct for where is magnetic north is, of course, enjoyed by many other species. So the technological change that's upon us, the transhumanist philosophy that underpins this, isn't just about transforming us in a digital sense. It's about bringing back or altering those biological capacities. And we see in the staging of sports at events like the games this willingness to play with the physical environment, to create more compelling ways of experiencing the sport through projection mapping, light technology. This is the volleyball from Rio, which um, is interesting creatively in part because it involved the team that was responsible for producing the ceremonies. So historically, those things have been separate. Here we have that integration. So the staging of sports is becoming something much bigger as well, something more diverse, engaging different kinds of creative and cultural industries, and as a result, expanding sports into a very different territory. But I kind of want to end here. This is a photograph from yesterday. My son had his sports day. And with all this technology, that transforms sports. I'm often reminded of how many of the conversations I've had with the sports industry over the years uh, come down to this desire to protect sports from too much technology. Um, in fact, the people that I've often disagreed with on the doping debate, uh, I think, have at their heart this perspective that elite sports, as serious as they are, as much money operates around them as it does, should still be about people enjoying the pursuit of physical activity. That often gets lost, I think, in the complexity of the economic structures of sports. And it might get further lost in some of these technological discussions. But I guess I kind of hope and, and believe that, that in many ways, the technology need not jeopardize those values. It might, in fact, allow more people to feel included in sports. Um, we have a tendency to think of sports as universal, that they are for everybody. And I was quite lucky growing up that I felt included in sports. I felt able to participate. I was never an Olympic level or national level, but I felt included in sports. There's a great deal sports can do and need to do to allow a wider range of people to feel part of it. And recovering this sense of joy in a practice which is often governed by all kinds of politics and financial um, shenanigans, and in fact, you know, one of the biggest agenda items in the world of sport has to do with corruption and, and the regulation of the sports. We've seen over the last few years, high-profile federations come under fire for, um, for not just f bad practices, but illegal practices. And so in some sense, sports, I think, find themselves at a point of crisis where they're trying to refigure uh, themselves out in terms of their value system. But whilst we focus on those high-profile federations, there are any number of other federations that may also have these sorts of problems. So we do need a different kind of governance that operates around sport. We need to rethink the grassroots and understand how best to develop it. And part of what inspires me about what's happening in the world of sports media is this desire to mobilize the community. Um, part of the pitch for the Olympic Channel um, over the last couple of years has been, I think, to become the Facebook of the sports world, a place in which local, hyper-local media content can aggregate and hopefully build community around it. Part of that, I think, has to do with this technological integration of biotech and all, all kinds of other um, biological technologies because it's not just a matter for sports to solve. It isn't just the case that we can look at sports and say, we don't want athletes to be doing doping, let's ban it. The world operates around sports and that value system changes. 
We're at a time now where we have the potential to actually eradicate a whole range of illnesses and diseases through genetic interventions. Whether we want to do that is a big social question. But what's crucial is that sports don't mistake that their problem is just unique to them. We need to have a wider conversation about where sports are going in the context of this wider transformation to society. So I'll leave you with this thought, and that's that the athletes of the future, the athlete that is eight years old here running a race at school, need not find themselves subject to the same kind of problems of governance that we've had for the last 30 or 40 years. Bear in mind, it's still only recently that, we, that the Olympic Games has managed to have a pretty even split in terms of men and women participating. It's taken a long time to get to these points, but there's still so much more that can be done. One of my anxieties about esports is that we are, I think, morally compelled to think about that division between men and male and female participation really urgently. Otherwise, we lose sight of it and it becomes a similar problem to what's happened with, with sports a century ago. But hopefully, with this level of governance that comes from the grassroots, where people feel ownership of the technology, part of the development, we can have some sense of sport remaining both joyful, but also capable of reaching those transhuman goals, the aspirations to transcend that elite sports are all about. And, um, and whilst it may not mean cheating or having to do things you don't want to do, embracing this transhumanist vision is about celebrating the value of technology and its capacity to determine our future in ways that hopefully corresponds with our values. Thanks very much.